We've been talking about contemplation quite a bit, and contemplation being kind of living in the moment. We've defined it as the practice of being fully present in heart, mind, and body. And I want to relate it to uh, listening and, and how important that is. So we're a church that believes in love. We think that that's the law. That's, we, 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 I, say, I say we believe that. I believe that, and that's what I espouse, is that there's one law, and it's the law of love, and that, that trickles down into a whole lot of behaviors and morality and ethics and so forth. And one of the greatest thing, one of the greatest commandments, the greatest commandments in Scripture are that you're supposed to love God and love others. And in my opinion, one of the best ways that you can learn to love is to learn to listen. Because what we all desperately want is to be heard. What we all desperately want is to be seen. And it, take, it takes effort. And so it, it's something that we have to talk about. And so this week, I'm going to talk about hearing others, listening to others, tuning your ears to, to who other people are and what they actually mean, and, and just being attentive that, that sort of active listening that is an act of love. And, and, is, and because it's an act of love towards God's greatest creation, it's also an act of worship. And then next week, we're going to talk about listening to God. A lot of times, I was in campus ministry for years, and a lot of times what students want to know is how do you hear God's voice, and can you hear God's voice? And we're going to talk about that. Is God speaking, and how does he speak, and how can you tune your ear, and how can you, how can you listen and hear what God has to say? But in general, on contemplation, we've been talking about being sensual, and, and that, that always raises... The, the word sexual into people's minds in our culture today, but sensual just simply means being aware of your senses, touch, smell, hearing, taste, and so forth. And so I've encouraged you to touch a tree and listen to the wind and listen to music and smell the bread and smell the soap and so forth. And, and I believe God designed you as this miraculous, amazing machine that's capable of kind of art and that it's an act of worship just to be in the moment. And Alan Watts, the famous European writer, as it's kind of a long quote, but I thought it was so poignant that I wanted to share it with you. He says this. He says, we're merely bolting our lives, gulping down undigested experiences as fast as we can stuff them in, because awareness of our own existence is so superficial and so narrow that nothing seems to us more boring than simple being. He says, if I ask you what you did, saw, heard, smelled, touched, and tasted yesterday... I'm likely going to get nothing more than the thin, sketchy outline of the few things that you noticed, and of those, only what you thought worth remembering. Is it surprising that an existence so experienced seems so empty and bare that its hunger for an infinite future is insatiable? And then he says, what if you switched your answer? So he says, he says tell me about yesterday, and you give him brief descriptives of what went on. He says, what if your answer was different? What if your answer was, it would take me forever to tell you? And I'm much too interested in what's happening right now to answer the question. That's pretty fascinating. He says, how is it possible that a being with such sensitive jewels as the eyes, such enchanted musical instruments of the ears, as the ears, and such a fabulous arabesque of nerves as the brain can experience itself as anything less than a god? And before you uber-religious folks get ticked off because he compares us to God, it's lowercase g, and it's a metaphor for being created in the image of God and like God that we are sentient, capable, powerful beings. He says, when you consider that this incalculably subtle organism is inseparable from the still more marvelous patterns of its environment. In other words, we're, we have this amazing, amazing gift that we can connect with what's going on around us, and that's, that's being sensual. That we have, we've been given this gift of sensuality. He says, from the minutest electrical designs to the whole company of the galaxies, you can stare at the stars for a day. How is it conceivable that this incarnation of all eternity 
can be bored with being. And it speaks of worship. It, it talks about the sensitive jewels of the eyes and the enchanted musical instruments of the ears. And I'm just, I'm, I'm becoming more and more aware of the beauty of laying in bed and feeling the fabric bleed beneath my skin and, and that being an act of worship because it's, it's what I was designed to do. In every conversation, listening and hearing and being connected to the moment. And when my kids come in my office, trying not to wave them away because I'm busy, but recognizing that it's whatever it is that they desire is probably more important than whatever it is that I'm focused on at the time. And, and it's just it's stirring something in me. Is, and again, I've, I've shown some pretty boring movie clips in here about the t- topic of contemplation. And we, we, can, we can think of just simple being, of just simple sitting in a chair and staring at a wall as a, dr- a dredge and a drudgery. But Alan Watts would argue differently. He would say the fact that your eyes can see the wall is magical. And if you'll tune into that, it will promote worship in your life. But, but in doing this series, I have to question, is this just something that I'm experiencing, that I, that I, because I'm experiencing and I'm sharing with you guys, that's, that's kind of the, the difficulty of being part of a congregation, is you're going to hear whatever the pastor's thinking about. And so it can seem kind of one-sided, but I'm asking the question of what's the what? Meaning, like, what is my purpose? So, so when I get up here in front of you guys and we have an online off an online viewership that's probably larger than what's in the room. Like, what is this, this 30 minutes that I get on a Sunday morning or the, the hour that I get on a Thursday with our community group, what's, what are we trying to accomplish? And the scripture paints a picture of what ministers are supposed to do. And every now and then it's important to go back to the source. And it says this, it says, to equip the saints, the saints are you guys, in case you aren't aware of that, you are a saint. You've been made a saint in Christ to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. So what I, like what I said when Quan came up here just a little while ago is that we're all ministers. We're just called to minister in different ways. This word in the Greek is diakonias. This, so it says to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And when we read it in the English, we think, well, then we're supposed to equip certain people to be pastors or evangelists or apostles or prophets or you know, whatever the five-fold ministry is. And that's kind of not what it says at all. It says that my job as one of the five-fold ministers, the, the occupational ministers, is to equip you guys to do diakonias, sorry, diakonias. And diakonias in Scripture is used a whole lot of ways other than preacher. It doesn't mean you're supposed to be a preacher, that you're supposed to head up a nonprofit like Juan does, or, or that you're supposed to practice hospitality. It could, it could be all kinds of different things, and you see it in all kinds of ways in Scripture. Martha, in Luke chapter 10, when she's preparing to feed the disciples and feed Jesus, it uses diakonias to describe what she's doing. She's preparing to entertain a crowd. Judas himself, when, when he was replaced after his death, they talked about how he did diakonesis with them. And so he was an itinerant minister that walked with the, with the other itinerant ministers, and he was, a pre, he was a preacher, right? And so sometimes it does mean that, sometimes it doesn't. In Acts chapter 6, it refers to food distribution, which is what Ryan and Susan and a bunch of people are doing on Sundays. This is diakonesis. And so part of my job is to prepare that and to encourage that and inspire that. Giving financial help, taking up an offering is an opportunity to, give, to create diakonesis. Acts of service, varied ministry, and there's, there's lots and lots of passages, including 1 Corinthians 12, where, where diakonesis is used to, to differentiate between lots and lots of different ways to minister. And then in support of other Christians. And so Sarah Strange has recently jumped in here. Where's Sarah? Is she? She's in, oh, she's in kids. So, so that's, a, that's a perfect point today. Is she, she, got, she joined us during the COVID season and just watched us online for a long time and then jumped in and, and started heading up our hospitality and first impressions ministry. And now she's sending out databases to you guys. She sent out a calendar to you guys with July, August, and September on it. And now when I ask, is she in the room? She's not in the room. 
She's back in the kids serving because our children's pastor is out of town. This is diakonias. This is what it means to be a minister. And I'm convinced that this, this, this idea of contemplation does that. I'm convinced when you can hear the voice of God and hear the voice of other people, you become better prepared to perform diakonias. You will be better ministers when you can tune in. And so that's why I want to keep talking about contemplation. I, I, I don't want it to be a burden to you guys. I'm, I'll probably talk about it at least a couple more weeks and maybe beyond that. But I think it's important that we live in the moment, that we see people, that we see their needs, that we hear their voices, that we understand perspectives that are different than our own, that we, that we notice when somebody's hungry, that we notice when the children's pastor is out of town, that we, that we are noticers. And to be a noticer is to, is to, is to kind of to be wrapped up in contemplation. So I want to keep encouraging it. It's, it's one of the greatest gifts you can do, give to someone to love by hearing. In some sense, the gospel is, the gospel being the good news of Jesus and what Jesus does is, is founded on the idea of listening. And you may or may not be aware of this, but in, in the ancient scriptures, they describe what's the Egyptians being freed out of slavery. The Exodus is what it's called. And in the Exodus, we find this passage. It says, I, this is God speaking. He says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. So I have seen their affliction. It says, I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. So when the Jews were under the taskmastery of slavery, they cried out, and it says, God heard. And it says, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them. And any, any theologian worth his or her salt will tell you that the Exodus is, is supposed to be kind of a precursor of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we are in some sense bound to slavery, we're in some sense bound to sin and darkness, and God sees that and hears it and is aware. God is not the deist God of Thomas Jefferson that's way off somewhere outside the, the universe that set the thing in motion and kind of just ignores it and let it spin like a top. But instead, he, hear, he, hears, he hears Lynn Muscle White's prayers. He hears you guys' prayers. He hears and he's close. And, and the gospel hinges on that. The, the, the entirety of the gospel doesn't make sense if God doesn't hear. And so... As, as Christians, which means followers of Christ, that means that we need to emulate that, that we need to be hearers, that we need to see when people are in bondage and in slavery and, and when a need needs to be met and when there's not enough coffee being served and, and the, the floors are dirty or whatever, whatever the thing is that promotes diakonias in our life. We, as followers and emulators of Jesus, we have to start by being hearers, listeners, contemplatives that see needs. To love well requires to understand but we're a culture that swipes right. We're a culture that scrolls past. How many times have you... So, so as, as you scroll through Instagram or Facebook, when you hit the like button, how many times is that, this post did something for me? I liked the picture. I, I like you. I like the situation. I like what you've said here. And, 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 in, and in some sense... It's constant criticism. In some sense, we're determining whether what was posted is something we approve of and appreciate. There's, I'm not saying that's how you have to approach social media, but the, the idea of swiping past kind of does that to, to our, our minds, to our mentality. It kind of burns those pathways in our, in our brains of, I'm constantly judging. I'm constantly judging. I'm constantly judging. And then you get on dating sites and you swipe right if you like. Or I, don't, I don't even know which direction you're supposed to, supposed to swipe. You swipe right for good and left for bad. Or you hit a check if, you, if it's a yes and an X if it's a no or whatever. 
And that's, that's kind of the culture we live in today is that we look, we judge, we make a determination. And that's not contemplation nor listening. And, and because it's neither con- contemplative or listening, it diminishes love. I'm not saying uh, there's people in the room that met their spouses by swipe and right. I'm not, I'm not saying there isn't a place for it. But I'm saying we do have to guard ourselves against the mentality that makes people easy to pass by, easy to skim. When they're talking, we're so used to just, we, you know, TLDR nowadays. If you don't know what TLDR, what does TLDR mean? Too long didn't read. The two nerds in the back know this. Thank you, guys. Love you. <laughs> the three nerds, the two in the back and the one in the front, know. 2L semicolon DR means too long didn't read. In other words, if you give a big post and you're afraid nobody's going to want to read it, you put a TLDR on it, which, which sums it up. And that's, that's the culture that we live in. We want the summation. We don't want the contemplation. And it's something we have to fight constantly. It's something we have to work against. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the famous uh, German Christian and discipler that has written many books, and one book titled Life Together says this. He says, the first service one owes to others involves listening to them. Just as our love for God begins with listening to God's word, the beginning of love for others is learning to listen to them. He says this, he says, so another, another long but poignant quote. So often Christians, especially preachers, so here you go, think that their only service is always to have to offer something. They forget that listening can be a greater service than speaking. Many seek a sympathetic ear and do not find it among Christians, talking when they should be listening. Those who cannot listen long and patiently will always be talking past others. They'll always be swiping right. They'll always be scrolling past. And finally, they will no longer even notice. It can become such a part of us that we scroll past and that we swipe right or swipe left that we don't, we're not even aware that that's the, the universe we exist in now, that every like we hit is just about our approval and our criticism instead of hearing, instead of seeing, instead of knowing. He says, those who think their time is too precious to spend listening will never really have time for God and others, but only for themselves. This impatient, inattentive listening is only waiting to get a chance to speak and thus to get rid of the other. It's dismissive. This was decades ago that he wrote this. How much more do we have a culture where we have to guard ourselves against this? He describes it as an impatient and an inattentive kind of existence and you know, if nothing else, so, so I'm, I'm fully aware that when you preach a sermon, people think about it for a day or two, and, and they, they process it, and so, so tomorrow you'll be more aware. And I, I don't know what the answer is, but if we're going to love and love well, this has got to be something perpetual. It's got to be something that you get a hold of that is kind of a, a permanent life change for you, is that you start to hear, that you start to attempt to understand. My good friend Kyle Whitaker, who has his doctorate in philosophy, came and spoke at Daylight one time, and he talked about argumentation and how argumentation isn't a bad thing because argumentation develops cultural thought, and cultural thought, it shapes the universe, and how, how important effective argumentation is. And one of the points he made on effective argumentation is that you always try to hear the other's best argument. So if you get two people arguing and one of them is not a great communicator and fumbles over their words and is comfortable in communication, uncomfortable in communication, and one of them is, you know, has three PhDs behind his name and is very articulate and can nail down the argument and boom, and just crush the other person. That doesn't mean that the other person's views were wrong. It's just, it's, it's a dynamic of the, the communication. And so one of the things he talks about in effective argumentation is 
doing your best to always hear the other side's best argument, not, not their worst argument or their worst teachers or their worst speakers. And so that, that ties into listening. And, it, and again, it shapes culture. And it's, it's a conscious thing. It's to say, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to listen. I'm going to look past communication. I'm going to look past distraction. And I'm going to try to hear what you're actually saying. And it doesn't mean you're going to always agree with the other person, but it means you're going to love them enough to give them the benefit of hearing, the benefit of listening. James says this. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone... Not most of you, not some, but everyone should be what? Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And, and then he goes on from there to talk about what rage does to us. But he says everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. And most of us have that in reverse. I know I can be easily capable of that. Even, even right now, I'm, I'm thinking... Well, here I'm talking, 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 and I give you guys a chance to say things, and all I'm having you say is say the stuff that I want you to say. And so even the dynamic of preaching kind of prepares us to be fed and to be feeders and to think that's the best way to do ministry. But I'm telling you what Sarah Strange was doing in the back, working with kids and sitting out of databases, every, every bit, if not more important, than what goes on up here. But nobody said it was easy. This is... This is very, very challenging to be an effective listener because, truthfully, it gets down to the very, very foundation of who we are as, as, as what the Scriptures would describe as sinful beings, beings of hamartia, in that we are self-consumed and self-absorbed. And to be an effective listener means to banish that, to abolish that. To be a good, good listener means to be, to be less in your own brain and more in the brain of the person you're listening to. And that, that gets at something on a very, very deep level of us that has to be Killed, crucified. It's, so, so I'm not saying you can just, or that I can even just walk out of here and say, I'm going to be a better listener, and I, I, can, I, can, I can watch more clips like that, and I can pr- learn pr- active listening skills, and that that will make me more of a listener slash lover. What I am saying is that there's a process to this thing, and we have to start that process and be aware of it to walk that road. So the solution isn't, if you go to communication classes, they're going to tell you that there's a transmitter, a receiver, and interference in every communication. So if I talk to Alona Deguer after the service, if I say something, I'm the transmitter. If she listens, if, she, if her ears are open and they work like they're supposed to, she is the receiver. But then there's interference in between. And the interference can be everything from philosophical differences between us, differences in, in communication style, distractions of the music, my kid coming up and clinging to my leg and pulling me away from the moment, there, there's interference in all communication. And, and you can study that stuff and you can become a better listener. And it can be an act of love and worship, but it doesn't necessarily create in you like to be a lover, to, to be one who loves. That's, that's a different road entirely, and it's the road of the cross. There's a song by Waterdeep that he says this. He says, it's a long, hard road with a good, good end. Jesus himself said, anyone who wants to follow me will take up his cross and follow me. And if you're not willing to take up a cross, you're not worthy of being my disciples. Not not an easy church growth strategy there, Jesus. It's the way of the cross. And the the thing about the way of the cross is this, this, this path of the cross, this path of laying down your life for others. So it means when you're engaged with somebody, it's no longer about 
me trying to own the room, so to speak, me trying to tell my story or to impress you. It's more about I love the person I'm communicating with. I love the voice on the screen. I love the, the people in the media. I, I love people enough to hear, to listen. And the path of the cross says, I'm willing to die. And that's not, that's not something that happens overnight just because some self-help dude gets up and says, hey, we should be better listeners. Here's some, here's, you, know, you can be a better transmitter by communicating clearly. You can be a better receiver by, by asking good questions. And you can eliminate interference by finding a good place to drink coffee instead of doing it in the room filled with music. And, and there's, there's, there's keys. But do you see that doesn't, that doesn't change the heart of love behind the, the mentality behind listening? It's a, it's a road you walk, and, and, and it's kind of vague. It may, it may not nail it down for you, but what it means to me is that every day I've got I've to figure out ways to, to, to be, as that passage told us, conformed to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Who is Christ? What was Christ like? And how do I, how do I live that out in everyday moments? And so I want to say that, that part of walking this journey of being a loving listener is to start by asking and what I mean, I don't mean by asking the other person to talk with you. I mean by asking God to shape you. And there's, there's all kinds of ways that that occurs in churches all over the country right now. And it might be what they call an altar call where somebody says, have you received salvation in Jesus? Would you like to pray a prayer and ask him into your heart? And, and, or, or it may be that in, in a Lutheran church somewhere they're saying, would you like to be baptized? Or what it, whatever the, the impetus is to walk towards Jesus, that's part of it. But specifically, I believe Scripture teaches that God is kind of waiting on us. And he, he's, a, he's, he's a great listener. This is, who we, this is who we model our listening after is God because he's a great listener. He's always there. You just turn to him and bam, he's there. He's not distracted. There is no, there is no interference. It's just, it's just perfect communication. And so Jesus said things like this. He said, this is the confidence that we have toward him, him being God, which should be capitalized, and it's not, and I don't like that. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And this raises up all kinds of questions about prayer, and are we, do we have to pray what God always wants? And, and if we don't pray, do we not get what we want? And I, I, that's, that's a sermon for another day. But the point is this, could there be anything more obviously God's will than us being good listeners and good, good at loving people? Like you can, you can pray this prayer and have confidence that God gives you a grand thumb up or thumbs up. How many thumbs does God have? I have no idea how many thumbs God has. But he says yes to this. When you say, God, help me be a better listener. Help me to hear. Help me to see. Help me to care. Help me to get past myself. These are things that he can say, whammo, got it, yes, boom. And in my opinion, it starts there. The, the road to the cross starts with kind of a surrender, but... But a huge part of the specifics of being a good listener is just to say, God, make me a listener. Help me. Help me to listen and to listen well. There's nothing that can be more, more closely aligned with God's heart than help me to hear others. And then there's, there's this practice of noticing. I'm pretty oblivious. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a dude that it's super easy to be in my head and be somewhere else at all times. And so we were at Costco a couple weeks ago, and we get out. And my daughter starts holding her ears and I'm like, what are you doing? And she says, they're, they're driving me crazy or something like that. And I'm like, what's driving you crazy? And it was the cicadas. And it was loud. I mean, it was, it was ear-piercing loud, but I hadn't even noticed it. I'm walking through the Costco parking lot, and, when she, and, then, and then she says it, and I'm like, wow. 
that really is loud. And it's a matter of, it's a matter of tuning in. There's voices around you all the time. But if you're wrapped up in you, if you're not contemplative, if you're, if you're focused on the thing, the thing that's important to you, it's going to be hard. I, I had a grocery list in my head. I knew that I wanted to buy. I was buying a steak dinner for some friends, and I knew that I, I was processing ribeye, prime, filet. I wonder if they're going to have prime filets as cheap as they did last time. I'm, you know, I'm, that's, that's what I'm thinking of as I'm going through the parking lot. And my daughter's thinking, my environment. I hear. I see. It was, the, it was through the eyes of a child. And there's, there's something to the conscious effort to tune out and tune in. And so you ask God first, you say, say, help me to be a better listener. And then two, you allow him to start doing that in you. And then you start to engage. And my favorite example of engagement when it came to listening, which I think I've shared at Daylight before, but some of you haven't heard it, was about buying a new driver. I, I shared how hard Father's Day was for us last week. And my, my fa- doggone it. My father-in-law, uh, Randy Short, was not a golfer, <laughs> not a golfer. And I was out in their, on their farm hitting, hitting golf balls out into their 40 acres. They call it the back 40. I'm, I'm hitting, hitting golf balls out into the woods, and he comes out and he tries to hit one. Snaps the head right off that sucker just the very first swing. I mean, and the head flies further than the golf ball off into the woods. And we've got pictures of him out with a metal detector trying to find it in a field of wheat. Never, never did find it. It's, it's still out there in that field somewhere. And so I needed a new driver, and I pulled up at a, at a golf course in uh, Murray, Kentucky. And I'm looking at their used drivers because I'm a cheapskate. And there's nobody there to help me. And this woman from the back says, I'm sorry I'm not out there. My, my sister's dying, and I'm kind of distracted. I thought, well, that's just a very strange way to start a conversation with a potential client or, you know, somebody who's trying to buy a golf club. And she came back out, and, and I said, I want to take these to the range. And so I signed out three clubs and took them to the range and hit them and came back. And I said, so uh, I don't know what to do with this information, but you said your sister's dying? She said, yeah. And she went on to talk about her sister who had dementia and was just right on the, the cusp, and she started weeping. And, and, and so I was able to... Diaconias at that moment, just minister hope to her, pray peace over her. And we stayed in touch for months after that, and her sister did end up passing away, and I was able to spend time comforting her and offering her my thoughts on the situation. And, but it would be super simple to just say, well, that was peculiar, and hit my golf clubs and buy my golf club and walk away. And my point is this, you're going to hear stuff, not nearly as in your face as my sister is dying, but you're going to hear stuff like that all day, every day, if you're aware of the noise around you. All day, every day. You're going to say, how's it going? Oh, work is tough, man. How many times do you hear stuff like that? How you doing? Didn't sleep too good last night. How you doing? Hungry. I mean, don't we as human beings have this, this thing where we're, we fish a little bit? Where we say, I want you to care. I want you to, it's, it's so much of our dialogue is just, I want you to care. I hope you care about me. And so we, we send out these little hints. And mo- most of them are hardly ever as in your face as my sister is dying. But it's stuff like, man, I busy, bro, busy. How, how often do you hear busy? And these are cues. These are cues for listening and for caring and for engaging. And we, we can't do it all the time because if you try to do it every single day, every single conversation, you would just... Well, maybe losing your life is kind of a good thing, way of the cross sort of thing, so bad pastor. 
But you can sometimes, when somebody says, I'm tired, say, oh, yeah, have you not been sleeping well? No, I've had a lot on my mind. Well, what's been on your mind? And go from there. And I'm going to invite Ryan Murphy to come up here and join me. There's a passage in Scripture. Oh, I need, can you, can you grab those stools? Um, there's this passage in Scripture in the book of Acts where an Ethiopian is in a chariot, and one of the early disciples is walking along the road and walks up to him and says, do you understand what you're listening? And this turned into this powerful, amazing God moment where it was just a simple question that resulted in ministerial beauty. And so, go ahead, let's pull him up here. So I've asked Ryan to come and join me. And I, I saw a workshop one time on sacred listening. And we don't have much time, so we're going okay. to talk fast and I'm going to listen a little bit, I promise. But I saw a workshop one time on sacred listening and how it can be used for coaching. And we're going to talk in front of you, and hopefully it, it will illustrate what I'm talking about. How are you doing? I'm good. So uh, what's life like? Well, first I'll say my wife probably finds it totally interesting. I'm up here on a Sunday about sacred listening, but um, <laughs> of all people. But uh, life's good. Um, but uh, this, week, this week in coaching... Um, I'll be honest, Tuesday I was at a funeral home for a former kid that committed suicide at 17. So that's been coaching this week. Um, but then the next day was softball tournaments. And the uh, next day was softball tournaments. And the little team won a couple of games in the tournament. The other team I coached lost pretty bad. And so, and then uh, Thursday the sun came up. So what is a good, <laughs> a good listener key in on right now? It's, I mean, this it just is, keeps going. This is, there's this is there's so much we could talk about. So, so you attended a funeral of a 17 year old kid that committed suicide. This was on one of your, Tuesday, one of your students. Yeah, many years ago, a runner of mine. And then on Wednesday, I coached both my daughters' softball teams, and so got up Wednesday. I mean, Tuesday was the funeral, and, and then Wednesday was coaching two different softball teams, and then Thursday was get up and start prepping for the for the cross country season and see what's going on for fall softball. So. So how do you how do you process something like that? Um, I, mean, it I still like, am. It sounds like you're so busy. I, I, I well, and the truth is, is like this morning was the first time I really got a chance to process it because of, I mean, just you know, my my daughters are eight and six, and uh, so at that age, if you have kids eight and six, they, they they keep you busy in all the best ways. So there's not really this was really my when Andrew was singing. God bless Andrew. Uh, it's really my first chance to process it, so to be honest. I'm sorry, bro. That's okay. So are you connected with the family at all? Um, well, well, this is a kid that, I'm, you're talking about the kid that, mm-hmm. well, I, he, it was uh, 2014, he was 17, so I coach elementary cross country. I'm a PE, elementary PE teacher, and so. All the kids, even my daughter's teams right now, all the kids I coach are 10 or 11 or, or under. So, um, and, you know, kids grow up and they go off. And, and I used to follow them on Facebook, and then I just deleted that back in October because it was creating a part of me I didn't want. And so um, I had not heard from her or anything. And, I mean, just, I got a phone call from a, another coach they used to coach with uh, Friday before last. I just got done coaching a softball game. And they got a phone call and said, hey, I, I got bad news. And I was like, What's that? And then he told me. So, but uh, and uh, so. Have you reached out to the family at all? Oh yeah, I mean yeah, I, I will. I I usually if somebody passes away, I, I 
I'm somebody I set a little reminder on my phone and I wait about two months mm -hmm. just because I've had other kids that I coached that passed away and, and we try to find ways to keep their name alive. But um, I, I just like I, my guess would be that it's all a blur when it first happens. Yeah. And so just to give sometimes, time. Sometimes giving some time. And, and I, I just I always thought like I don't if something happened to my child. You know, the tough part would be, you know, everybody's there right at first, but like four months from then, is somebody still calling to ask how I am as somebody? So I will, my point is I'll wait a little bit. What will that look out. like? What's, what's your plan there? Oh, I just, very simply to reach out and um, say, hey, here's my phone number. If you need anything, call me or text me or, or, or to his mom. So that would be very simple. I mean, it's not, I, I here if you're here I'm, I'm here if you need me yeah. and then so that would be it so so when I th when I think about your life and, and we talked about this briefly right before the service what you know you're you're investing in all these kids all the time and you have kids of your own yeah. and part of what I thought we might talk about okay here in front of a bunch of people is how do you how do you effectively love your kids while also caring all those other kids but this conversation makes me wonder how do you how do you take care of yourself um, well, uh, I mean, I try to get enough sleep and, um, I do okay with it. Uh, I mean, I don't, like, I, I've learned to say no, um, over the years and I have slowly but surely learned like it's okay if I'm not somewhere. Like it used to be like, I felt like I had to be at every single game or every single practice or, and, and so. Like this year, I missed a couple practices because my family and I were out of town for something my daughter was doing. That was a week before last. And then this coming cross-country season, um, there will be practices. I'm just not there because Emma or Ava needs me to, or, or Steph, my wife, needs me for something. And that's okay. Um, but it's taken me, I mean, this is going to be my 14th year coaching cross-country. And it's taken 14, 14 years to get to that point, I guess. Um, and I do talk to my oldest, Emma. I haven't yet my youngest, but she's now of the age. I've had conversations with her like, Emma, listen, you are the most important kid in my life. I know I coach a lot of kids. And do you feel that way? Yeah, Dad. If you, do you want me to keep coaching cross country? Because it means I'm not going to see you much on Tuesday or Thursday. And it means sometimes on Wednesdays when you, know, you want to do this, I'm going to have to answer emails and phone calls. This is 100 plus kids. And so she's always said yes. So I don't know. Maybe... And she's an this amazing kid, and so maybe she sees, like, that's kind of dad's other purpose. Like, there's husband, you know, there's Christian husband, dad, and then right after that is coach. And so she's, you know, I don't ever put anything past kids working with them because the one thing kids kids see right through any kind of, I'm, I, I can't say the word, uh, baloney they see through any kind of baloney and kids are much uh more intelligent and perceptive than some adults give them credit for i think any adults that have worked with kids know how perceptive they are they don't um you know they, they don't short kids with that but adults that aren't around kids think that they're just these like oh i'm just six or seven like and just kind of blowing their nose and need help wiping their butt and what could they really know no like they know stuff like a hundred percent so um, and I guess it is about time to have that conversation with my youngest, but I think my youngest may run. So, so we're gonna for time. Yeah, that's fine. For time, we're gonna cut this off here. No, that's fine. But I want I want to illustrate what what just happened. 
So I didn't, I didn't talk a lot. I just asked a few questions. And now you guys know his heart so, so much better. Don't, I mean, for those of you that didn't know Ryan Murphy before, don't you feel like you get him a lot better now after just a, f- a few seconds of conversation? You know what's important to him. And look, I'm just, I'm, I'm just a... Yeah. I'm just a dude. I'm a very flawed guy with a pretty big heart. So, But you can also see I'm that that heart is hurting a little bit, that he's pulled in a lot of different directions. We, we've learned a ton not only about who his, what his character is and what his heart is, but also where his pains are. And, and he did, th- thankfully, he's the kind of guy that will do that in public. Not everybody would. But I'm telling you, you ask a few questions, you offer a listening ear, and that's, that's what happens. And that's not, I hope you feel loved. I do. I love you, bro.